Welcome back to another episode of Two Woods Four Quarters, a Harlequin's podcast. My name's Michael, and I'm sat here on a Sunday morning with my cousin Will. How's things, mate? Tough day at Victor Droge yesterday. Tough day everywhere this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a terrible. Actually, it's been a really nice week at work. We had our Paris team come over and join us on Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, which was nice to actually see some Zoom faces in real life. Um, and then, yeah. Friday night, I didn't go down, but I watched the game from home and didn't get the result we wanted. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail shortly. And then I had a lovely day out at Vicarage Road in this glorious sunshine, t-shirt weather, one nil up for 80 minutes, thinking we might actually get a win and I'm the lucky charm, only for us to completely capitulate and effectively confirm our relegation. So that's my week in a nutshell. How are you doing? I think you had a, a day out at the cricket yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, I was playing yesterday uh, last like interclub sort of pre-season thing before we get into the league next Saturday. Um, Brighton 1-3-0, beat Wolves, which is great. Nice. Did um, you get any runs or wickets though? Uh, I don't bowl these days. Just stand at slip catching pigeons. Uh, I got 20 yesterday, pulled out uh, pretty poor, but that's right. I'll hopefully be the, be the mix of selection on the weekend. Um, what else? A uh, bit of stuff at work this week, job interviews, blah, 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 blah. Busy week, busy week, busy week. But more importantly, three-day weekend which is absolutely wonderful yeah um so i'm looking forward to having a couple of beers on a, on a sunday afternoon today yeah have you um have you seen prep to win yet or is that your sunday agenda it's going to be on my sunday agenda so i've watched the first one and i haven't watched the second two yet Do you know what should we jump into that straight away obviously yeah, that's, let's the, do uh, it. that's some of the big news this week um in terms of what's come out prep to win rugby's been crying out for some sort of you know Drive to Survive, sort of Amazon Prime, Netflix. Yeah. Major streaming series. series. Yeah, and, you know, we've got it. And it's the right club to do it, obviously. Um, and obviously, you've watched all three? I have. Yeah, they're quite nice. They're, they're three 30-minute episodes. So they're quite easy to squeeze in, in and around your day. So I watched all three on Thursday when it came out, actually. One on my lunch break and then one before the gym, one after the gym. So they're all quite snackable. Um, how good is it that our club is the one that's involved with this, by the way? Because it could have been any rugby club, but I guess we've just got such a good story and it, it almost wrote it itself for Benno. But what I really liked about it is how it isn't predictable. He follows our pre-season journey and he goes right into the detail of, of different elements of the game. So it's quite interesting for a newer audience as well as an existing rugby audience. I think... And it's, it's a shame this, but I do think it's probably down to A, budget, and B, the fact that Benno still plays rugby. If it had been like an all or nothing like they're doing with Arsenal at the moment, yeah. and they'd followed Quinn throughout the season, that would have been so good. Particularly yeah. when you throw in things like big game in there and and European away days. And yeah. I mean, that Bristol game earlier in the season where we were getting thumped and then we thumped them. Um, there's so many little, little nuggets in there, but... Um, Obviously, Benno's a player, so he wouldn't be able to direct it throughout the whole season. I'd love to see that as a next step, but there's some brilliant players involved in it that you wouldn't expect to see. They've all got slightly different stories, and it really digs deep into them and how they tick. A standout for me is James Chisholm. He's just such a funny bloke. He's such a character. You can see why the boys love him. You can see why he's good company. I won't give away any spoilers, but I think he gets more of a segment in the second episode. Um, Cassius Cleves, another one that we're all really excited about. Haven't seen yeah. too much of. Um, there's a great segment on him and how some people are saying how he can be World Player of the Year in five years. Um, <laughs> he's electric. 
David Flatman's good in it as well, actually. He he talks to the players in quite good depth, um, as in he talks about them in good depth and shares his point of view from, from an ex-pro's side. And then Lennox and Yanwu, for me, we've had a little bit of interaction with Lennox this season, particularly after Prem Cup games, and he's just such a stand-up guy, infectious energy. And in this piece, he is very open and transparent, and he talks very honestly about his mental health and how he doesn't live with players in London. He lives at home with his family in North London because he wants to keep rugby and his mental well-being separate because if you get caught up in this microcosm of, of rugby, it's almost impossible to, to reset your mind and, and have that freedom that you don't often get if you're caught up in a bubble. So he's really honest and interesting. And I think he comes in maybe episode three, but keep an eye out for that, mate. Are you going to binge it this afternoon? Is that the plan? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've, having watched the first one, obviously having that stuff with Lennox is really cool. And then obviously you get like a, a sort of overall glimpse of, of what's going on. Um, and I hope there is like an Amazon Prime All or Nothing series coming out at some stage, obviously in a couple of years, whenever it might be about Quinns. I am an absolute nerd for an All or Nothing series. I think I've watched yeah. every single one. Um, I'm not even an Arsenal fan, but this season's one's going to be just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to yeah. be fascinating. And I've watched the Toronto Maple Leafs one as well, which is unbelievable. Just like the way they just do it and how much stuff you get to find out is class. So that'd be amazing. But yeah, having watched the first one this week, it'll be uh, this afternoon. I think I'm going to pop down the cricket club as well and have a couple of beers because it's a Sunday and I'm not at work tomorrow. But before I go, I'll probably be binging that for the next couple of hours. But yeah, if you haven't watched that, make sure you go and have a look at it. Um, I've got about 40 messages this week from people that have said, I've just seen your ugly face on Amazon Prime. Yes. Me, you, <laughs> and Gareth and Jeremy on the morning of the, well, I say morning of the final, about lunchtime on the final, screaming and shouting outside of Twickenham. So yeah, got my um, 15 seconds of fame. I was hoping for me and you to pop up on those little sort of you know side trails of, with a character note on the Amazon series that you get and like a little <laughs> like I don't know how you say we that. are nowhere near big time enough for that no, you I need know. to come down from your pedestal <laughs> <laughs> we weren't even in the credits <laughs> I know it's unfortunate but yeah definitely go and watch that if you haven't it's well worth a look in terms of some news this week we got some that I think a few people had been expecting um very disappointing and you can sort of see now there might be a, a couple of gaps opening up in our squad that we need to fill but the news that Matt Simmons is going to be retiring at the end of the season I am announcing my retirement um, from professional rugby so uh, it's been my last my last season um, I think there's a famous Wayne Bennett quote um, that goes around it's you're all far better off retiring one year earlier than one year too late I'm just ready for a new challenge it's been a it's been a hell of a run, you know. It's taken me all over the world and rugby and um, awesome memories. But yeah, it's it's time for a change. We've spoken about him mm. quite a lot over the last you know eighteen months or so. The general, um, what are your thoughts on on him calling it a day? The general, um, massively disappointed. But he says there's a famous quote from Wayne Bennett that you're better off retiring a year too early than a year too late, and you've got to respect that as. Uh, as a human being more than a than a fan of the club. So I completely understand his rationale. He's got a brilliant opportunity to work in real estate in London. Um, who would say no to that when you've, you've had a brilliant career? You've just won the premiership. 
it must be a really nice position to go into every game this season, knowing that it's the last time you're going to play at the stadium and you better leave it all out there on the pitch and empty the tank. And obviously he does that every week anyway, but it's just been so evident this year that he's, he's really trying to be present and enjoy every single moment. And his performances on the pitch have been sensational. He's been as good as I've ever seen him. He's a weird one, Matt Simmons, because when we signed him, we thought we've just signed another Premiership journeyman. Like, right, he'll be he'll be good for the team. So what? But tell you what, the last few seasons, he's been the rock in our pack that is just crucial to everything yeah. that we do. And you look at some of the players in that pack, he's playing next to Hugh Tizard, who's only, what, 21, 22 years old. The role he's had in his development is evident to see. Um, and it's such a shame we're losing Tizard as well. And you mentioned there we've got a little bit of a gap starting to form in our squad. We've still got Hammond in the second row. We've still got the captain, Steph. Christian Scotland-Williamson, I think, is a little bit of a project, similar to Tal Lani, where he's new to the team this year, needs to get conditioned to the Queensway a little bit more, and maybe we'll see the best of him next year. People tend to forget we've got Dino Lamb still, who was pivotal in our Premiership winning side last year as well. Um, and then Matas who has been playing a little bit of six. Quite a lot of our second row have been playing six. Um, I wonder if his future is in the row, given that we've got two spaces opening up there. So we've got some good depth there, some young players. Plenty of them have showed real promise as well and got a good amount of game time. But I do feel like we need to sign somebody nasty, somebody experienced, somebody who's going to come in. And if there's a scrap going on with one of the younger lads, he's going to come in and sort it out. Not that a Tizard or a Matas or a Hammond can't sort themselves no. out, but when you know you've got Simmer over your shoulder, which he usually is, you just feel so much more confident and there's a lot of trust in that forward pack. Yeah. With Simo, especially as well, he, it was almost cliche, you know, overly cliched everyone says it every week when you watch him but he does so much of the work that you don't see and he's so important to everything that we do and it's like him and Tizard have been a ridiculously good pairing this year do you remember a couple of years ago was it yeah I think it was a couple of years ago actually somebody said that the Stefan Levis and Matt Simmons second row pairing was the best one we'd had since George Robson and Ollie Cohn. I think that might have been me. And I think I might change my words and say that actually Simo and Tiz is the best second row yeah. pairing we've had since Robson and Cohn. Not to say that Steph doesn't get in there in the second row, but has been playing a lot of rugby at six. But just the based, way they've based on up this season, year. Steph's been out a lot of this season. He's come back in at six and he's been brilliant at six. But as a pairing, Simo and Tiz just work so well in tandem. They've both got slightly different roles, but they're incredibly physical Saints at the weekend, Tiz was just burying people for fun. There's still a few Saints players peeling themselves off the pitch, so he's going to be sorely missed. Who who would you bring in, if anybody? What type of character, if you haven't got a name? We've been linked with somebody called Ern Hurst, who's currently a second row in Benetton yeah. from South Africa, who's a little bit nasty. He's got this lovely, gruff-looking beard. Yeah. Um, obviously, Tommy Allen played out there with him. And apparently he's never met a man that loves hitting rucks more than this man. So that's probably a good omen for the type of character we want. Yeah. I think, I don't know, in terms of people that haven't really got a name for you, but, you know, Snyman from South Africa, that sort of player. Yeah, he's a Munster. Snyman. He's been he's injured Munster, quite a lot yeah. this season. The other one I thought of was Devin Toner, who's retiring from Leinster this season. He's kind of that, old, experienced, rough boy, big, big lad that could have come in and done a job for a, a year or two. It looks too too slow around the park for me. Need a bit more. 
That's a it fair might, comment. That's a fair it might, comment. Might sort of, might sort out the line out a little bit, but it looks too cumbersome well, around that's, the field. That's probably the priority, isn't it? Going into the season running. I mean, he's not yeah. going to come in now, but that's definitely something for for Wacker and Steph and Simo and Tiz to look at because the lineup's yeah. not been functioning, has it? But in, just in it's sort of as an overall on Simo, we won't sort of harp on about it for too long. But the guys had a pretty amazing career, been all over the world, played in New Zealand, you know, and has been one of the most crucial cogs in the machine that won as a premiership title last year hopefully that is the same this year and he goes out as a double premiership champion because he has been he's been a, a pretty sort of ever-present figure in our side over the last 18 months and we'd certainly be worse off without him so fingers crossed he retires well and fingers crossed it's with some more silverware but absolutely and i think the other thing is a bit more news from the week is we've got a partnership with london scottish now and I think that's probably less of a partnership for the fans because it doesn't get me massively excited, but maybe more so for the academy lads where there's going to be this setup now where if they're not involved in the squad with Quinns, they'll probably be playing for Scottish in the week. And um, if we ever need a player to come in or if we're short in an area, I imagine we could probably borrow somebody from Scottish as well. So that could be another area where the second row gets addressed. Um, we've seen Taolani and, and Aaron Morris and... Loads of the lads run out for Scottish as well as Richmond this season. So I, I don't think too much changes in that space. It's just a little bit more official now, but maybe that's worth keeping in mind as well for future players. I like, I used to love going down to the athletic ground on a Friday night. I used to go at uni quite a lot. Um, it was quite a good sort of bargain because one of the guys in the sports department used to work at Scottish and he used to get a couple of free tickets every week. So he used to give me and my mate them. We go down there. Decent beers on a sort of Friday night at the Athletic Ground watching Scottish and Richmond play. It was good fun. But yeah, hopefully that gives people some more game time. I'm sure it will do. I'm sure it will be a, uh, a well-thought-out partnership. But should we move into Saints? Friday night then. Northampton away at the Gardens. What about selection to start off with? Anything strike you? Obviously the big one was missing Marla. Um Yeah. Oh, it was always a bit of a banana skin, this one, wasn't it? Saints yeah. in fourth, really trying to chase the, the front three in the pack and, and secure the playoff spots. Um, also, Friday night games are a little bit like the 12.30 kickoff in football, aren't they? They just never go right. So unless you're at home, it's always going to be a bit of a banana skin. Um, and you had two two sides very good at manipulating defences and pulling people out of position, flat-footing opposition and, and keeping them second-guessing. That's the kind of style that both teams play. So in terms of selection... I thought Marlow was a bit of an odd one because we've now got two weeks off for Europe and I'd have liked to have seen him play. So he must have a niggle or something to to have ruled him out because he was going to get two weeks rest anyway. Um, aside from that, we were as good as we can be, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, Tommy Lorde coming back into the side at seven. Um, and then on the bench, obviously, we had a, a little bit more weight in the backs this week on the bench with a 5-3 split rather than last week's 6-2. Um, and good to see Chiz back in the mix as well. Muskie... Got the sort of nod at Hooker as well, having been a bit behind in the pecking order with Riley and Grace. You could see him back out did, there as well. Did he get yeah. on? Uh, yeah, he came on in the 60th minute, I think. Did he? Oh, yeah, of course he did. And then he went off again because it was for the yellow. And then I don't know if he came back on after that. But, I mean, that's probably a good place for us to start because it happens so soon in the game, the, the uncontested scrums. Maybe we'll yeah. go into a minute-by-minute minute breakdown after this. But it felt like such a key weapon in our arsenal was just eliminated by having that uncontested scrum. When you've got... Wilco, Lowe, Wacker, and, and even Karen's a brilliant scrummager against what can only describe as a garbage front row for them. <laughs> and we saw one scrum just before it became uncontested where we just completely melted them. 
yeah. we were folding them up and pushing them backwards. Um, the game would have panned out so differently for me. We would have won scrum penalties. We would have had more territory in their half. Their try later on in the game was a sort of free pick from the base of a five-meter scrum. You just can't defend that. So no. what was your take on, on that before we get into a minute-by-minute minute breakdown? I think it's the same as you. Like The set piece has been so important for us all year, and we've had such dominance there. And when the, at the times that we struggled in that sort of Six Nations block, the times that we were struggling, was we didn't have that set piece dominance with Marler away. Wilco was just, you know, on his route back from on his yeah. route back from injury, um, Cole picked up a knock at Bath from memory, so didn't play for a couple of weeks in and around that sort of time. But yeah, it's been so important. It's been so important for us that front row dominance. So to have that sort of taken away from you, and everything that it gives you, you know, there's a scrum on the halfway line, you win a penalty. Marcus goes to the corner nine times out of ten. Yeah, and that sets up what we do a lot of, or what the stuff that we do really well a lot of the time. So yeah, disappointing to have it that way, but. It almost makes the fact that we didn't select Marla a good decision because it yeah, would have been a, wa- so. a waste of his minutes, really. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Wouldn't have been worth the risk, would it? So, no. I mean, hindsight's a, a beautiful thing, isn't it? Anyway, I guess we'll start with their first score, which I thought was a really nice, well-worked move by them. And Alex Mitchell sort of threads the pass through the eye of a needle to Ludlam, who easy two-on-one back inside, flatfoots the defender and... And they're in and they kind of deserved that after the first sort of four or five minutes where they were relentless and, and we were stretched, but we were holding them out and then they, they got their rewards for, for all the hard work. But um, it came at a cost, didn't it? They had a couple of early injuries, not only to Augustus, but obviously a couple of their props, which resulted in the uncontested scrums. But what did you make of Saints in sort of the first five ten, and what did you make of us? I actually missed the first five because I've been playing football against our year 13 leavers and had to race off at the end of the day they under the game they were all wanting socialized few social photos and all that. I was like no no I'm off get, got, got to get to Quinn so I missed the first try and then obviously you haven't watched the replay it looks like the sort of way you expect them to shape up and play you know yeah. expansive and free-flowing with a couple of sort of meaty forwards that are going to hammer the ball over the line um, and obviously we got a fairly quick response but at that injury straight away you think well, you know the replacement Props now got to play 75 minutes of rugby. That should give us a real advantage later in the game. And then he goes off as well. So oh, he got knocked the fuck out, didn't he? By yeah. I wouldn't want to get elbowed in the face by Courtney Laws either, but that was friendly fire and it's very, very worse. Yeah, he, got, he got hammered. And then obviously we score pretty quickly in reply. Um, Hugh Jones, who I think we'll go into a little bit more detail about later on, who's growing he was every everywhere. Week he we was popped everywhere. Up Pops up at nine for the first try, picks yeah. up the base of the ruck and gives the ball off to Andre, who dots down. So, yeah, and we were back in the game pretty quickly after seven or eight minutes. It's funny that, isn't it? Because we'd barely fired a shot and all of a sudden it just opens up for Andre off a bit of unstructured play. As you mentioned, Hugh Jones playing at nine is obviously not what we had in the plan. Yeah. So to, for him to be able to pick it up and he said he was going to have a go himself in his interview after the game and just saw it wasn't on, Andre popped up, gave it to him and he was clean through the gap untouched under the post yeah uh, both a bit of instincts I think I mean the ball I knew Deese wasn't at the ruck so I had to play nine and try to go myself and I saw Andre at the last second just popped it to him uh, and the other one we, we get into March a little bit for his kicking uh, <laughs> that was going out but uh, he managed to keep it in and, and uh, I managed to just hold on to it and, and get under get over the line love scoring against the Saints is Andre oh he loves the Saints doesn't he he does he was man of the match at big game as well. 
He yeah, was, Saints. wasn't he? That was the first yeah. of his three in a row. Yeah. I do, you remember, do you remember towards the end of big game as well? There was quite a lot of needle and scrap and a couple of players. I think yeah. Danny got, there was a couple of that this week as well. Dan, but I say Danny might have got sent off again in that game for scrapping. I think Hutchinson went off from memory. Yeah, they um, both did because they were scrapping with each other. And then obviously the same thing happened again this week. Which, yeah. I don't know. I'm not, can't quite put my finger on why that's the case in terms of what Danny. You know, a, a sort of, well, no, like an embedded an embedded rivalry between us and Saints. Oh, I can't quite it looked like Chiz was any... Chiz was leading quite a bit of it, but one of them was the Santi yellow, wasn't it? And then obviously yeah. Danny Danny's yellow frustration out the end. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit more detail shortly. But if we continue with the the second half, and I mentioned earlier, Tizard just burying people. He looked really up for it. Um, he looks ahead of his years in terms of his ability on the pitch and his composure. But him and Courtney Laws kind of toe-to-toe we put a few shots on Courtney he looks right at home on the international stage let alone at a club level so I don't want to be too depressed about him but he's one I'm going to sorely sorely miss overall in the first half we kind of had two shots and two tries the second one is one of the greatest tries I've seen off the cuff ever oh mental my goodness me Marcus Smith with the little chip pass across to March March with the little chip over the top and the basketball style leap and pat back down to Hugh Jones who plucked it out with one hand looked like he might drop it it was just skills everywhere and it was all off the cuff it was all good fun and when we have an advantage it is literally like the boys say fuck everything let's do something yeah. ridiculous let's see how viral we can go this time with a clip of our try <laughs> it's insane and it's always Marcus and Marchant involved on the way through Smith kick pass picks out Marchant and he's oh. cut it in field, and Jones had it. Oh. Somehow or other, Hugh Jones races clear. Did you see um, the kick pass? Oh. I don't think it went more than about 10 feet off the floor. No. So it, it, it wasn't even a crossfield kick. It was a genuine kick pass. Yeah. Madness. And Ridiculous. then obviously, Marchant's reminded me of, you know, like when you get in the NFL, wide receivers sort of running out routes, and the sort of toe tap they do is try and drag yeah. their heels and keep the ball, keep their feet in play when they catch it. It was almost like that. It's, you know, millimeter perfect on the whitewash it's funny then, actually in um in prep to win everybody's talking about how joe Marchant is just a freak you've got all yeah. of the forwards lifting ridiculous weight and then they cut to like joe Marchant. and he's benching like 160 and he's squatting 200 plus it's like mate how are you doing that you're an outside center he's yeah. just he's just a genetic freak but obviously that man again hugh jones involves um and you know we get to half time and i think you're right other than the first try and the second, the second try is a bit different because it, it didn't. I'm trying to sort of phrase this right. It wasn't like we bat- battered them, battered them, battered them, and gone through loads of phases and no. and really sort of imposed our will on them. It came from a, a couple of just ridiculous bits of skill that we can pull off in those areas, and then you sort of score. And a lot of teams don't have that ability to sort of turn around and go. Well, exactly how fuck, that. How the fuck do Harlequins do that? How the how the hell do you defend that? But it feels. I remember you saying when we went, when we went to London Irish. And we'd score two tries without really firing a shot at them because we just scored two tries in ways that only we really can. Yeah. We hadn't absolutely mullered them for like 20 minutes and really earned the right to score. It's just a bit, a bit of a freakish play. So then we go in at half time and we're, what, a try or so down, maybe 10 points, I think. The, the, the 26. Yeah, 26 17. And, and as you yeah. say, I think that's why no team would fancy us in the playoffs because we don't need to muller them and muller them and muller them. No. We can score from nothing at any time. We're just a little bit sharper in those moments of, of chaos. And and as you said, we were comfortably the 
the worst team in this first half. Yeah. Comfortably the worst team. We we weren't poor. Saints were just shit hot. They were awesome. And we, we scored two quick tries from, from nothing. So we're lucky to still be that tight in the contest. Um, and we come out after half time and score two quick tries. Bang, bang. We're then ahead 31-26. And from there, it's ours to lose, really. Yeah. And I think the next sort of key moment we need to talk about, obviously after Dom scores in the 44th minute and Caden in the, in the 51st, the yellow card for Santi. Now, you've got some different opinions on this. I think for me... A, obviously Santi's not played in you know a while. It's been fairly set now with obviously Marler and and Kerrid playing at, playing at loose heads. Um, so not, we've not seen Santi out there for a while. The Argentinian meatball. Um, but for me, it was one of those ones where the moment you see it, you sort of get that horrible feeling because it's your own team, and you think, "Well, oh, that's probably yeah. going to be a red of some variety." And I, I sort of got that. Didn't, I didn't quite get that, you know, feeling of sometimes you look at it straight away with those sort of, you know, high shots, and you get you get feeling straight away. We think, no, that's not red. We'll be okay. Yes, it'd be yellow, but it won't be red. I I had a feeling in me that straight away thought, oh dear. Yeah, for me, it wasn't clear cut. I think if you're going to reward somebody a red card, it is to be clear cut, and then if you're going to mitigate it down, it obviously needs to start at that red. So, I think he was a little bit unlucky. I think the players on his way down. Santi's driving up, which the commentators said made it look worse. But if Santi drives and just cuts him horizontally, he's breaking Furbank in two. So the fact that he's driving up in the tackle is a positive because it's a glancing blow as opposed to bending his spine backwards. Um, and there is no replay that shows Santi's shoulder actually hitting Furbank's head. Furbank's yeah. just got that kind of long, thin hair that when he takes a shot, <laughs> it kind of ricochets back and yeah. it's a little bit of whiplash, really. I don't think Santi actually makes contact with his head. So for me, it's not even starting at a red. I don't even know where it starts, but I think he was unlucky to get carded because how can you start at a red card with no conclusive evidence of head contact? And I know the referee said there's probably head head contact or he says he saw it, but I didn't see any replays of shoulder on head. I saw Santi hitting the ball, which if anything, kind of balloons for a bank backwards. And the fact that he's high is because Furbank's effectively on his knees at that point from the tackle before. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not fussy about the yellow. Like, I'm glad they accounted for mitigation with Furbank being on his knees. But yeah. I didn't see any head contact. So I don't really know where you go with that. It just looked to me like his his shoulder was sort of tucked sort of in a bit and not fully wrapped on. It, I don't know. It just it didn't look amazing. But then obviously the way they sort of brought it down you think okay well yellow's not ideal but at least it's not the rest of the game and hopefully we'll just be you know smart now for 10 minutes and see if we can ride this little storm and see if we get out the other side and and get the ball back yeah for sure for me it was just a rugby incident and I mean I'll I'll take the yellow because I don't really know where you draw the line with those kind of tackles and if it was red I'd be like I'd still disagree but I wouldn't be throwing my hands in the air because I've seen worse given as reds um but off the back of that, we're a man down for 10 minutes and they didn't score a single try the entire second half. So it just goes to show we're a bit of a second half team and it was definitely ours to lose because we, we came out, scored two quick ones, didn't concede any points or maybe three during no, the yellow card window. No that, points. Nothing. There were no points so scored in that 10-minute block. The boys rode that wave out pretty well. And then as we get into the latter stage of the game, for me, there's eight minutes to go. 
we have a line out 10 meters out from their line and it's just no control we we have a real opportunity here the lads need to come together and bash heads and think right everybody focus know your role and play it let's stay down here let's try and get something it can be three it can be a try let's just be really clear on what we're trying to do but off the back of the line out the first receiver is nick david who's not expecting the ball he's got nowhere to run nowhere to pass to ends up losing about four meters from where the line out was we then get around the corner and we haven't really got a pod set up. It's a little bit of chaos. A few phases later, Courtney Laws turns us over and they're back down in our half. And with five minutes to go, we're still only two points clear and there's a real chance we can lose the game. So that's just an element of discipline that I think we need to improve on if we want to be champions again, is that when you've got an opportunity like that to win a game, you've got to go and win it. And that's what makes this one so frustrating is, Whilst we weren't the better team, Saints were comfortably better. I thought they were brilliant and and probably quite worthy of reaching the playoffs. We should have won that, even though we were the worst team. We're, we're a champion side. And when you play worse than the opposition, you still should try and win in any way possible. And we could have. That's the frustrating bit. Yeah. It was really, really, really frustrating that second half. Well, not so much the, just the, the back period of the second half where you're a man down. We did all the hard work to, you know, keep it keep it a sort of deadlock score for the time that we were around down and then the one thing that annoyed me was the penalty that Matt Carley gave on Luke Wallace uh, and there's a great screenshot of this guy really on good Twitter. yeah re- I saw that this morning I think actually as well um I've literally got it here so um I think we've we've retweeted it on our um Twitter thread as well so if you go and want to go and sort of see the the sort of clear and obvious bit. And this is obviously the penalty that led to Grayson kicking a, you know, 46-metre penalty that nudges them a point in front and ultimately wins them the game. So Matt Carley has said that there was no tackler, no clear release before he's then gone and got his hands on the ball and has quite clearly won the turnover, but there was no no clear release on the tackle. Luke Wallace is about two yards away from the initial contact on the tackle. He doesn't. He's not anywhere near it. He's yeah. genuinely nowhere near it. Marcus is making a tackle on Ludlum as well. Lud- Come on, on Marcus. Yeah. Apparently Marcus he can't makes... defend. Yeah. Well, that's ridiculous. But yeah, Marcus makes a tackle on Ludlum. Luke Wallace is about two yards away and then immediately does what Luke Wallace does. He does what all of yeah. our sevens do. He gets his hands on the ball and wins the turnover. We then go kick it deep. Whatever we do, I don't care. But the, we, we, it doesn't we matter. The We're in their yeah. half with like three minutes left and we've got the ball and that's yeah. effectively the game done. So, yeah. I mean, for me, it was really frustrating because I hear the whistle and I start celebrating and getting up on my feet and cheering because I'm yeah. thinking, yes, Luke Wallace has just won us a penalty on halfway. I literally, I literally did the same thing. Um, and then he puts his arm up for them. Yeah. I'm thinking, what's going on here? And he says, Dakla didn't release. I was like, hang on a minute. Marcus isn't trying to win the turnover here. So yeah. it was an incredibly cruel way to lose the game and incredibly harsh on Wallace, who it was over the ball completely fairly, in my opinion. But I don't think he was part of the tackle. So ugh, these things happen in sport, right? And and ultimately, you don't lose a game based on one decision. So we could have been better in other areas of the game and we wouldn't have had to have worried about that penalty if eight minutes earlier or eight minutes before the final whistle, we'd done a job down there. It wouldn't even matter. So yeah. it's just a small detail in the game. It's just unfortunate that it's, it's just frustrating that it's right at the death and, and sort of confines us to a defeat. But the good news though, from this result is that it's two points. We get the try bonus point and we get the losing bonus point. So having not won the game, 
unfortunately. And also, you know, an- annoying that Saints get the five, although we're probably going to, fingers crossed, t- touch wood, hopefully be clear of them in third. We still take two from the game, which is massively important. Yeah, and I think we also came away injury-free. And when you look at what happened with their squad, I think that's yeah. a, a massive yeah, that's really positive good when you think about where we are at the season now. So we go into a two-week break. Um, bodies can rest up. We can reflect on what went wrong. Friday night, banana skins now out of the way. We've got Gloucester in, big summer kickoff, which is always a big party when you think about what happens in December. It's going to be a massive game after their result against Bath, who are just utter, utter trash. Yeah, Can't believe a team like them with Underhill and Falatau in the back rows getting pumped 64 nil. It's just barbaric, really, isn't it? But I think we're in a nice position. Like We take away two points. I think we can give up on the home semi-final now. I think we needed to get four or five from our last few games and rely on Saris to slip up a bit. Saris have still got Northampton. and Northampton have got the bit between their teeth now, trying to chase down the, the front three. So maybe something will happen there, but ultimately it's still in our control. I think we'll probably finish third. May as well get the train tickets booked to, to Barnet now. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. I'm all right with that. I think we can go to their place and, and front up and, and go toe-to-toe and hopefully they won't pull out no, their stadium again and we can take all the tickets. I've got no interest in going back to Saris again. I've done it once this year. It was cold. It was wet. It was horrible. And we lost. I don't want to go back there. It's so miserable. It, it is a dump of a ground. but It's one I, of the worst grounds I've ever been to in sport. But if I can flip this for you and say, would you want to go watch Quinns play Saris in a premiership semi-final? That makes it a little bit more appealing, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. But it's still one of the worst grounds I've been to in sport. And I've followed Brighton a lot. Rather than <laughs> my, old, my old man going to some horrible places. All right. Well, should we talk about the next few weeks? Because there's going to be no matches and we'll probably take a week off the podcast because of that. We, you don't want to listen to us ramble about what we did <laughs> over the week at work because it's yeah. not interesting for anybody. I've got a bit of an idea that I think could be quite cool. I think it's not necessarily a positive that we have two weeks off and Gloucester have now got Saris in the Challenge Cup and other teams around us. Leicester are still in the Champions Cup. I think it's good to have a routine. It's, I think it's good to keep momentum going. Obviously, there's benefits to resting up, but I think our players should try and replicate that routine and, and continue in that rhythm, whether it's this week or next week before Gloucester, so we're not coming in cold. I'd quite like to see us do an open training session at the Stoop. I'd like the boys to come down at 3pm on a Saturday, stick in their rhythm, go through the motions. I'd like the fans to come down and put their hands in their pockets and, and buy a few pints and have a good time, integrate with the players, have a mingle, have a chat, get behind the lads. And then it could be a really nice catalyst for the last two, three, hopefully four games of our mini four game World Cup now. I hope it's a really nice sort of inspiring moment for them to, to kickstart that process. So I'd like to see it, maybe not this weekend, next weekend where fans can go down, even if it's five quid a ticket, I think it'd be a nice little Saturday afternoon out, mingle with the boys, they get to stay in their rhythm of, of match day, get to come together again and go through the motions ahead of big summer kickoff the week after. It's a nice idea, isn't it? Fibre ahead, get down in the sun, watch the boys train, have a beer, have some food. Um, yeah. yeah I Gather wonder. some momentum, yeah, I think... start to hit our stride again. And this is the thing, momentum is going to be the interesting one now, isn't it? Because if we'd have gone on to win every game from now until the end of the season and won, won the title again, we'd have won like 11 games in a row, which is almost unheard of. So... Perhaps losing a game at this stage isn't the worst thing that can happen to us. Two weeks off, rest, fresh, hopefully, you know, a bit between our teeth to really attack the last bit of this season. Hopefully we might see a couple of people return to training and get back in the squad. Maybe the likes of Tyrone Green, something like that, might be in and around the mix again. Um, so we've obviously got no reason to uh, 
talk about selection um, in the next week because you know the boys are going to have a well-deserved break. We've got big summer kickoffs to look forward to as well. And then we're attacking the back end of the season. And one thing we absolutely need to mention before we wrap up this episode is the England women winning a Grand Slam title and plenty oh. of plenty of our own heroes in there as well. Vicky Cornborough, Jess Breach. God, the list goes on. You're going to be listening for ages because there's so many. There's like Sarah Becky, Ellie, Ellie Kildan, <laughs> a lot of them. But yeah, amazing work for the women. And they've been selling out stadiums all around the country. They have record breakers, aren't they? Doing some amazing things for the game. So yeah. Not just in congrats. attendance as well. That's their 23rd win in a row, which is as good as it's ever been for an England side. So, yeah. and I can't see anybody stopping them. We've got the World Cup later this year. They've got an unbelievable shot. It's almost like a once yeah. in a lifetime shot where your team, your squad is just it's rock stars it's all over the park. Nobody can stop you. I yeah. think, I mean, it'd be nice for our Harlequins ladies to go in and back-to-back champions, Grand Slam champions into a World Cup with silverware yeah. galore and go for the big one. Imagine if you're a Harlequins player right now and hopefully, you know, the Alliance season sort of wraps up in the way we, we hope for them. Back-to-back Premiership champions, back-to-back Six Nations champions and a World Cup. That's a Grand pretty cool Slam. Couple. Grand Slam. That's a pretty cool couple of years. So fingers crossed that works out for girls. But yeah, unbelievable work from them. And I think that's where we'll leave it, mate. It's been... Um, We'll see everyone again in two or three weeks up at the Big Stoop, hopefully for some sun and hopefully for some beers. Take care, look after yourselves, and we'll see you all again soon. Cheers, mate. Well done. Cheers, mate.